Hi there, and good evening. Victoria Kelly and uh, my six puppies in the background making a bunch of noise. And uh, this is uh, Scan um, Blog Talk Radio Show for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And we have a single purpose here at NASCO, which is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get its over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, or CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And tonight's special guest is Cressa Alexander from Seattle, Washington, a survivor, domestic uh, violence, cyber advocate, activist, educator, uh, indie filmmaker, speaker, author, and journalist. As a child, her escapes were ready. I'm sorry, we're reading music. At the, sorry about the barking. At the age of 11, she began a solo career as a singer, guitar player, and songwriter. She is also a classically trained learned soprano and has acted in music theater as well. I can read the whole thing because she's got a whole bunch, she's got a long story. So um, she, um, anyway, um, she was um, uh, left disabled by an accident. Um, she was stalked and then overpowered by a criminal who held a prisoner for hours. Um, she's got a whole bunch of uh, recovering from a whole bunch of abuse. And uh, she's here this evening to tell her story. Hello there, uh, Carissa. Hi there. Good evening. How are you? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Well, we really appreciate you having you on our show. And uh, um, for those that don't know, the caller number is 646-595-2118. And uh, if you call in, Annie will meet you on the back line and uh, um, get your name and everything, and then we take breaks about three times or more during the show for our questions and comments to um, our uh, speakers. So our guest speaker, again, is Carissa. And uh, 
it's your show, so uh, how would you like to start this? Would you like to talk a little what? bit about your childhood or um, um, so, they go into the, your uh, journey? Yes, so, I would yeah. love to do that. Okay. It's kind of a, um, mm-hmm. and what I'm hoping to be able to do here is just kind of go over a little bit of what the past was. Not too much, though, because I try very hard not to dwell back there. It puts yeah. me in a difficult place mentally, and I just don't right. like it. So I tend to try to focus on what I'm doing now and where I'm going because we can't change the past, but we can change our future by our choices now. And right. so that's where I typically like to focus is uh-huh. where am I going, how am I going to get there, what do I get to do now? And I try to oh, add a lot of what do I get to do now because I think that that's our purpose. And for me, that's, that's the whole reason why I'm still hanging in here. Um, I grew up in an abusive home, and I most of the time don't talk much about that. It's been an interesting last year. Uh, my parents were married for 67 years. Um, they are now separated. And um, there was a severe car crash last year. Uh, my mom drove the wrong way down a two-way street for, like, three football fields. And... Um, They had a head-on crash. My dad had to be cut out of the car and spent a long time in the hospital. He could not speak. He could not move when they got him out of the car. So he basically had to learn all over again how to do everything. And even though it was horrific, there was a blessing in all of that because my dad was able to get away. And for the first time in 67 years, be safe. My family is, like a lot of families, multi-generational abuse. And in my family, it is through my mother's line that there is a lot of physical violence and a lot of other really horrific things. And so I grew up thinking that was normal, thinking that was just how it was. I always hated to go over to certain homes, though, to visit certain family members because I knew that it was either going to be physical or sexual violence or other horrific things. And so I didn't want to be around that. But as a kid, you don't have a lot of choice. Um, My parents were young when they married, and my dad worked really hard that he I'm kind of amazed when I look at my father's life because in spite of everything, he worked for Boeing for many, many years, and Boeing had a subcontract with NASA, and so he got to work on um, the moonshot, and he did some amazing work there. He also helped build the um, little Land Rover that they drove around the moon, and it's kind of fun to go with him to a museum because what will happen is he will um, explain to you this is how they folded this up and how it was able to do what it needed to do. 
My oh, dad wow. is very easygoing. And, oh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, my daughter just absolutely went nuts over everything. She's a science nerd. Uh, so she got my genes and my dad's genes. <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, she actually got to talk to an astronaut, too. But um, my dad is very easygoing and basically a very gentle person. And through they were married for like 25 years, he was looking at trying to get out and through family pressure, didn't do that. And I bring this up for a specific reason because a lot of the time, one of the things that people say about their reason why they won't leave an abusive situation is that, well, the kids need you and you need to present a united front and kids need a dad and need a mom. Well, yes, they need a dad and need a mom, but more than anything else, they need to be in a safe place. Yes. And because of the pressure that was put on him, he stayed. And it ratcheted up. So what, what years are we talking about just so people like kind of get, I mean, because situation sure. like with my mom she said I couldn't I couldn't leave there was no better women's shelter the laws were you know kind of in place right. and they must not have been in place right. for them to get the children of all things right well I was a kid in the 60s and so right. there really was nothing out there to protect children and what's transformed over time into what we have today even now is not a good situation. That's where I'm going here in a few minutes is I want to talk yeah. about that. But um, in the 60s, there was really nothing. And I used to describe um, my mother's dad, who I don't refer to as a grandparent because of some things um, that were very difficult. Um, but I used to refer to him as a rageaholic before I knew what domestic violence was and before I understood a lot of things. I knew it was not right. For me, it was not. I can't really say it was normal. It just was what it was, and it was there. And because my dad was working seven days a week, you know, eight to 14 hours a day because they were going to the moon, it left me in a very vulnerable place as a child. And when dealing with child neglect and you're dealing with physical violence and when you're dealing with sexual abuse, um, that makes it really hard to grow up in any kind of a healthy way. And we all have ways of dealing with it. My way of dealing with it was I've been since... I was tiny, I've been a performer, and I got more involved in my music because it submerged me and got me into a safer feeling and what I thought was a better place. Um, when you're a kid, you don't get to choose whether you're going over to certain homes and doing certain things. I would sit at the bookcase and read books, or I would be involved in my music. And that's what got me through. And mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. But eventually, 
it got to a, a turning point. And for me, that turning point was going through um, a situation with a criminal who held me prisoner and being physically and sexually assaulted. And this particular person later murdered in cold blood three other people that he had abused this way. I feel very fortunate and very blessed that I'm still here was one of those turning points. And I couldn't have gotten away any sooner in that case. I don't think, you know, you go over things and over things in your head. Um, And it's true that when you are raised in an abusive home, you think it's normal. You don't recognize the red flags. And the vast majority of those of us who've been through abuse, it is a multi-generational thing. It's passed on. And so when I hear people say, um, well, we've got to keep the family together, you know, at all um, points, that's the most important thing. No, it's not. Because what keeps the family together also results in passing on, as if it's normal, that abuse. And then the next generation frequently picks it up. In my family, there are (laughs) shades of abuse that are left. There is one person who is a domestic abuser, multiple pumps over. Uh Um, There is one person who is in pretty much total denial over everything. And... Um, basically told me that I need to get over it and uh, move on. Um, And then there's my brother and I who have chosen to not go that way and have deliberately learned how to educate ourselves and work on things. And one of the first times we sat down and really talked about things, we both were amazed that we survived our childhood. Because there are some horrific things back there. But at the same time, I feel like part of the reason I survived that childhood was so that I could do the things I do today. And today I'm able to both work with survivors and work on legislation and work to create change. I just want to say, too, that, that um, you know, just the fact that, like you mentioned, the different children in the family record um, live their lives different ways and stuff. And that's why I always like to tell survivors that are working on themselves in any way, getting any kind of help looking at this, like you said, is really hard. And that's why I always say that they're courageous um, to be able to do that because it is not an easy feat, you know. Um, and yeah. a lot of people put themselves down. Well, I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy a long time. I'm on meds. You know, and these horrible memories are coming up. But, you know, you're really courageous because it's so much easier to just close that door and and either repeat those patterns or, you know, or uh, oh, repeat those patterns. <laughs> you know? either yeah. be, I mean, I'm, I guess I meant either be a victim or, or an abuser, you know. Right. So um, I just right. want to give anybody that's even listening to the show, you know, you're very courageous just to say, hey, this is about me. I'm going to tune in, you know. 
Yeah. Exactly. Just, yeah. Hey, Chris, could I respond to what you've just shared? Sure. Sure. Sure, bud. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, we haven't met, but my, my name is Bob Eden, and I'm the regional ambassador for Australia. And what I loved about what you shared so far is um, one of your opening statements was you knew you couldn't change your past, so you decided to leave it where it was. Now, um, for me, this is where we differ, and it's not a judgment. It's just, you know, everybody's on their own unique journey. I remember being in that place where I knew I couldn't change my past, but I had a feeling that I could go back and heal it. And so by healing the wounds of my childhood with the help of John Bradshaw and his family of origin stuff, it was like once I'd done that work, it was like somebody had taken a, um, a, an elephant, the load of an elephant off my spiritual shoulders. So sure. that was amazing. That was, doing that work was just so fantastic. And the other thing that I realized too, like my healing was not complete until I was able to uh, forgive my abusers. And for me, it was my mum. My mum was my primary abuser. She was very, very violent. And I hated her until I, until I got her to tell her my, her story of her childhood and realized that she was doing the very, very best. But all she could do was what got dumped on. All she could do was dump on me what got dumped on her. So by sharing our stories, we helped to heal each other. And the amazing, because I, I wrote a letter to mum saying, you know, this is how it felt for me as a child growing up in our family, and like, you know, and I posted it, and that's when the like the the shit hit the fan. But she she actually wrote back, told me her story, and then I could I could move from hate through hearing her story back to love. Yeah, mum was doing her very very best, but you know, all she could do was pass on what she she received as a child. And this, and this is the beautiful caveat to the, that little story, is that about five years after she died, I contacted her through a spiritual medium, and this lady told me stuff that only mum and I knew, so I knew she was found income. And the message I got from mum was, Bobby, 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 thank you so much for writing that letter, for I'm now doing the same work with my parents in in the beyond and that that blew me away so it is multi-generational and for me mm-hmm. if you don't have it back you pass it on but um and i'd just like to applaud your courage for reaching out it um yeah it's scary but it, it um it gets more comfortable more, uh, the more often i share my story so <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I can hear you butterflies Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so and, much. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a process. It's a process for all of us. And one of the things that I have found for myself is <clears throat> that I will have counseling for a while. And then I'll think, okay, I think I'm good for now. And I'll take a break. And then a little while later, it will be time to go back and work on things some more. And things come up. And it kind of is a little nudge that tells you, um, you know, you, you have some things to, to work on here. And if you want to work this through, 
you know, you're going to get farther down the path and you're going to be better at what you do than uh-huh. you would otherwise be because you're not stuck. And it's right. freeing. It allows you to uh, move on to another place. And there comes a time, yes, um, he just mentioned the fact that forgiveness is part of that. I think it is, but it has to be on each person's individual time. For some people, that turns into this huge stumbling block, and they can't deal. And there's just, it's too much to handle. And I get right. that. But I think for, um, at least speaking for myself, from my situation, I had to get to a point where I was able to say, you know what? If I lived what she lived, I don't even know how I would have coped. Because what she lived was much harder than what I lived. And, yeah, I had my own hell, but hers was even more difficult. And the more that we're able to gain that kind of understanding and look with new eyes, it opens us up to a point where we can get to a healing place. And, you know, I love my mom. I don't hate her. I don't anything. In fact, I probably am in more contact with her than most of the rest of my family at this point. Um, yeah. But well, you can still I've love somebody, but not at Exactly. Exactly. And what's kind of cool for us is one of the things that happened with the domestic violence is we had to completely leave the area where we've been and start over in a whole new area. And I'm far enough away to where there is physical distance and I can pick and choose how much time I want to spend. And for me, because I can't leave my house, I haven't been able to leave my house in almost four years now because of COVID. I have a highly compromised immune system. And my doctor basically said, you're here for the duration. And, you know, don't leave unless you have a really good reason. So if I need to go to a doctor or, you know, certain other things, I will leave my house in a mask, and the people that I'm with will all have to wear masks. But the rest of the time, I'm home. And that adds distance. And sometimes distance is one of the best parts of healing because it enables us to build boundaries and say, okay, I can handle this much and handle that much, and that's it, and you're good. And you continue to move on and you continue to heal, which you can't do if you're being run down like a freight train um, every time you're around this person. But the boundaries are really, really critical for all of that. And dealing with this stuff for me, um, is an ongoing issue, but it's something that I have to do if I'm going to do the work that I do. And I've spent the last 16 years now, I, I work with domestic violence victims and survivors uh, all over the world. I was and how did, you start that, how did you start that journey with, yeah. with um, beginning that? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> my ex-husband... Um, has periodically reared his ugly head and said bad bad things with us. And um, so one of those experiences led me to getting online 
looking for support from other survivors and organizations that might support violent survivors. And at the time, this was 2007, there was very little out there. But I put into Google domestic violence victim support. And up pops what was then a brand new group on a site called Cafe Mom. And Cafe Mom disappeared, I want to say about seven years ago. Maybe it was a little longer than that even now. But um, they were at the time as big as Facebook. They were the largest women's networking website in the world. And they were just for women and a brand new support group that was virtual had just started. And at the time, it was just you read other people's posts and you responded, you know, typical stuff that we do on Facebook these days. But at that point in time, it was pretty um, unique in a lot of ways. And this group was started by a woman who, like me, had wanted to be supported and wanted to support others. And I got on, and the first post that I read was from a woman who knew she was going to die. And she was terrified because she knew her husband was going to kill her. And she was equally terrified of going into shelter. And, well, I spent four months as part of the underground, so I spent four months in shelter. I know that scene by life. I also was trained as a victim advocate about a year prior to all of this. And so we didn't know how I was going to use it, but we knew that I wanted to find a way to make things work. And I have a physical disability that also meant that I couldn't work in a shelter. But I had the knowledge. And this woman said, is there anybody there who can demystify the process for me? Because I really... No, I need to go. I can't do it. And that letter haunted me. And I had just got on the site for the very first time, and I'm going, I'm brand new here, you know. And I started surfing around just to see what was there and how things worked. And it haunted me. And about 20 minutes later, I came back to it. And my fingers hit the keyboard, and I literally told myself, I'm in. And I answered uh-huh. one letter, one message. And that turned into thousands of messages oh. over the next, I think it was eight or nine years. I, uh-huh. At one point or another, over that period of time, I worked with over 12,000 victims and survivors around the world, mm-hmm. um, sometimes We even had to use Google Translate or the equivalent thereof. Um, Mm -hmm. Very different situations. And I had to constantly think on my feet, use my own experience, use the education that I've gotten in my training, and do a whole lot of improvising. And it revolutionized my life. It really did because it really helped me to shift from victim 
to survivor. And I was starting to get there. But that was the thing that pushed me over and said, you've got this. You know this stuff, and you can make a difference. And so I started doing that. Well, a few years after that, I got contacted because due to the ex wearing his ugly head again, and so the Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence um, and my local shelter program were involved in what was then a groundbreaking study on housing first. And so I was one of the very first people, my daughter and I were, um, to find new housing to get safe as a result of this project. And so I did that. And at the same time, I had started doing pageants um, just as a means to do an outreach and hopefully make a difference somewhere. And so I started doing that. Well, um, they asked me if they could interview me for some of the stuff they were doing. One of the things they were doing was a Bill and Melinda Gates had done a symposium for um, philanthropy. And in doing that, one of their big donors um, or donation places was this program. So I got to be a speaker for the program that I had been involved in. And I chose to wear my crown and banner, which, Mm -hmm. of course, makes you stick out like a sword. Um, Other people wear hard hats for their jobs. I wear a crown. (laughs) Yeah. But it makes you so memorable. And total strangers will come up to you and talk to you. And it does amazing things. That's the reason I kept doing it. To begin with, I was going to only do one pageant because it was something I'd already always wanted to do. Yeah. And when I found out how powerful it was, I went, you know what? I got to keep doing this. And it uh-huh. also really helped in my personal transformation as I was healing. So it yeah. was a multi-purpose sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I was able to do that and made it into this big video that the uh, Gates Foundation did. And the Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence had contacted me, and they said, would you be interested in doing other things? And I said, absolutely. And they got a hold of me a couple of years, I think, maybe not quite that long after that. And they said, um, Maria Cantwell and Patty Murray, who are two local state senators for uh, the U.S. level, um, are working on the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. And they would like a survivor to come and tell her story at a press conference. Are you interested? I said, when and where I'm there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I didn't even really have to think about that. And what was really cool about that, my daughter was turning 18 within just a few weeks of that. And up until she was 18, I had to keep a lower profile because I was court-ordered not to talk about things, which is messed up, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. But um, 
as things were changing at this point in time, once she's 18, I could say anything I wanted to say, and I could not risk losing her because they would have jerked her away and taken custody away. And so I had to be really careful where and when and what I did. But at that point in time, we were close enough to where we just went, you know what, let's do this. So my daughter actually went with me and got to see me do what I did, um, which was amazing for both of us. And you can actually find me on the web (laughs) with all of this because it it made a big splash in the ocean um, at the time. But the really neat thing was um, Senator Cantwell came up to me and it it made the papers and it made the evening news on, I don't know, a lot of stations and it made national and international news. So, I mean, I was everywhere. But the Seattle Times, which is one of the two largest papers in in Washington State, um, got a picture after I finished speaking. And as soon as I was finished speaking, Senator Cantwell came over and asked if she could give me a hug and did so. And as she was giving me a hug, she whispered in my ear and she said, we need you in D.C. And I said, you know, if I can find a way to financially do it, I would be there in a heartbeat. And I didn't have the funds to do it. Um, Financial abuse is a huge thing with domestic violence. In 98% of cases, it becomes an issue that keeps people impoverished. And if we address the DV and address that financial abuse, that will be transformative in our nation. But we have to get to the point where we can do that. And that's one of the areas I'm looking at, too. Um, But I was not able to travel to D.C., but I got a phone call from Senator Cantwell's office. And she said, we are debating tomorrow on the Violence Against Women Act. And I'm wondering if it's okay if I share your story on the floor of the United States Senate during debate. Wow. And I said, yes, absolutely you can share it. And Mm -hmm. I was told, here's a link. Go to this link at this time, and she will speak. And you can see and hear school at the time. So I was a a computer in the library in my school at that point in time. And my daughter was um, also in the library. And I turned it on and sat there and tears streamed at my face. Mm. I realized how powerful this is and how important this is. And how much of a difference we can make if and when we speak up. Mm-hmm. And Give for me, that was... Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Exactly. we don't all get those opportunities. You know? No. But you put yourself out there so you could you could have those opportunities. You know? Exactly. Like you exactly. said, you know, and, it brings crowd and it you know, brings attention, but... It brings attention to the issues because there's a lot of people that wear crowns for different events or whatever, but they don't, you know, 
they don't talk about the stories or, you know, even if they talk about the issues sometimes, they're not talking about individually what had happened to them. Right. Yeah. Right. And to some degree, I can understand that, particularly if family is still alive and family yeah. dynamics can be such that it makes it difficult. That's another reason why I kind of limit exactly what I talk about. Um, right. But I do feel like it's important that we get the message out and some of that we need to talk about mm-hmm. so that other people who don't even realize in a lot of cases that what they grew up in was abuse can have back that in, um, moment. Back about 15, 16 years ago, I did an event in Texas and uh, asked Miss Texas, Miss, Miss Texas, yeah, to come out and speak. And she was a very nice young lady. And she came out and ever said, oh, why are you having somebody from a pageant come out? And I said, this is going to be really cool. She's going to be out at the park with her crown and her, you know, her outfit on and everything, mm-hmm. sash and all that. And I said, and there's going to be little kids around, you know, and I want to, you know, give them a positive role model. And, and sure. I, you know, she said that she talked about child abuse and was one of the platforms. So I asked her, she'd speak. And she got up there and she says, um, I'm a survivor of child abuse. I grew up in an abusive home and I got taken out and put in um, foster care and I got raised by a wonderful family and this is what I'm doing today. And it was like, I didn't expect that. You know? wow. <laughs> she had the platform, but I had no idea. And and then the yeah. um, Lions Club president, who was this big guy and really like nationally known, um, he said, well, I'd like to say something. And he came up there and had the mic. And he says, I know a lot of you know me and probably don't know this part of my story. And then he tells how he grew up in an abusive family. And I'm like, you know, here are these people that are well-respected that are getting up there and telling the stories. And it just, it warms my heart, you know, really. Absolutely. Because we could just, we could just say, you know, I'm working for abuse or I'm working for domestic violence or children. But, but to actually have that story, like you said, you know, hearing your story. On the Senate floor, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, amazing. it's just—it's actually part of the public record, so it remains in that historic document. Right. And it just—it still blows me away that what happened to me. And yeah, I have been actually trained in Washington State. There was an organization that. They don't exist now because everybody's retired, but um, it was a nonprofit organization, and I was trained to work at the highest levels on this issue. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's basically been my goal from a long time ago now, um, yeah. probably at least 14, 15, maybe 16 years ago has been to take this to the highest levels because that's where we can really make a difference. Right. And with having my international title this last year, I was able to do some things. I was on global um, TV and did a whole hour and a half long interview, part of my story, and did some other things. Do you want to let people know how they can find that interview? Um, yeah, actually, if you go to my Facebook page, which is Carissa Alexandra, um, and I'm sure we'll connect and I'll make sure you've got that. 
but uh, you should be able to find it on my page uh, because I'll make sure that it's put back up there again. Well, we got, we, if people go on the Blog Talk radio show description of your show, they can click on the hyperlink of your name, and it goes to your Facebook page. Oh, perfect. Okay. Can do That's that. Great. Yeah. That'll make it really easy. And I will get on there and make sure that it's back up there so that we can make sure that it's linked to it. Right. Uh, so that they can actually go and hear that because that's an hour and a half long interview where I did everything from. I did talk a little bit about my story, talk a little bit more about the situation with my dad, who's doing really well at this point. Um, he's got his own apartment and he's in assisted living. He's talking, he's walking, all of these things he had to redo all over again. Yeah. Uh and he's, he's having a ball. And I never realized, because I wasn't allowed part of the control issue that is central to domestic violence, meant that I would not have time alone with my dad because my mom wouldn't allow it. And I've now talked to my dad a little bit about things, and I've been able to talk to him more than I talked to him in more than 60 years before because all of a sudden we can talk uninterrupted. And I suddenly realized that part of the reason why the abuse was as bad as it was, my dad and I are so much alike, it's amazing. I was a classically trained singer and was working on building a full-time professional experience with hits and the whole nine yards. I had people in the music business tell me it was just a question of time. My dad was a drummer, and I knew that. And I knew he could have turned pro. He could have toured, but my mom wouldn't let him. And so he worked at Boeing, and he did what he needed to do, and he provided for his family. He did all the right things that he could at that point right. in time. Um, well, now would be a good then to share what, what he's doing now that, that is fulfilling that. Well, now he, um, he is involved in, um, with a friend in the assisted living facility where he's at. There's like four different churches that kind of have set up services on Sunday mornings. And so now that he's walking all over the place, he can go back and forth and is. And so he is in charge of music for two different services every Sunday. And he's hanging out with a good friend of his for like 40 years who's an amazing pianist. In fact, I used to work with him when I was involved in music. And so been kind of fun because I hear bits and pieces of what they're doing now. And he's doing theater for the people in the assisted living facility. I mean, talk about, I didn't realize what a carbon copy of my dad I was until this last year. And it's just been a blast to realize. It's an inspiration to that you can go through the things that he's gone through. Um, as a domestic yeah. abuse survivor, and then once you get away, how much your life can change. I mean, it's just 
I'm not exactly. the devil. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he is really, <clears throat> excuse me, a fantastic uh, example of that in what he's able to do now and in his getting out at everybody. He is absolutely the life of the assistant living facility. Uh, he's got a best friend who's almost 100 years old that is one of his neighbors. And the best friend has a girlfriend. And the three of them are like the three stooges, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you told me it's also inspiration because uh, one of the guys uh, just stayed in his room all the time and and your dad oh, yeah. was up there walking. And <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a huge um, – the facility that he's in is kind of in a circle, the way that it's built. And so he goes out and he walks the hallways and everybody stops him and has to talk to him. And we're talking staff. We're also talking all the residents. One of the residents that he um, befriended, and this was months ago now, but at the time he befriended him, the guy had not been out of his room in over a year. And he couldn't walk. And my dad started talking to him, and he said, you know, you can walk. It's going to be hard, but you can do this. And he started encouraging him and getting him out, and the guy started walking and got to the point where he was able to do what he needed to do. That guy went home. He was able to get to the point to go home because of the influence of my dad. Mm -hmm. So it's a testament that even though, you know, domestic abuse, child abuse, whatever, um, we can really make a difference. Not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. Oh, yeah. No matter what age you are, because I I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm told I'm going to just stay with the way things are. You know, there might be domestic abuse. It's like, you know, you can still have a life, (laughs) you know. You can still do things besides what you're doing. And uh, it's hard for people to imagine that sometimes. It really is, and for the longest time, I didn't think he'd ever be able to get out. Um, like I say, the, the accident, as horrific as it was, was a blessing in disguise because it was the thing. When he finally could talk, he said, I could have died. He knew that yeah. this was his shot and he needed to take it, and he did. Yeah. And... You know, it's it's been transformational for him, but it also has been for some of the rest of us. Um, my right. brother and I have talked about how he's doing, and my brother goes up to see him, I think, once or twice a week now. And um, it's a significant mm-hmm. dis- distance, but um, they get together all the time. And he is able to really support my brother in ways that are amazing that never could have happened otherwise. Right. Me, I well, like you said, even just the conversations that you can have without um, yeah. the abuser. Yeah. Yeah. I got a phone call on my birthday. My father had never talked to me for any more than about three or four minutes because yeah. she controlled everything. I mm-hmm. got a phone call on my birthday this year. He talked to me for an hour, wow. an entire hour. And I hung up the phone at the end of the conversation, and I looked at my daughter and said, my God, I just talked to him for a whole hour. 
Wow. And it was amazing. And then I wonder how much all this is impacting you to to see all this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and she saw what was going on, the dynamic that was there and everything else. So she knew. Um, And even though it was very different from the way she grew up when she was with um, her dad, I left when she was three, but our court system, our family court system is so screwed up that um, she was still forced to have um, visitation with him until he tried driving us into Puget Sound when she was about seven. And the counselor said, that's it, you're done. And she said, no more going to, you know, get in his car with him or being any place at all with him. If you want to meet him at a mall, you can do that. That's it. And he didn't like that. And so within about two weeks, he was gone. And the financial abuse has been horrific. Um, My daughter is disabled. She has CRPS, which is a rare form of arthritis that can cause paralysis and loss of limbs. And she's been paralyzed multiple times, uh, was treated and diagnosed because it is very rare, children. And was in an inpatient program there uh, to treat it. And in order to stay as healthy as possible and to keep from getting into the paralysis and loss of limbs, she has to say in tip-top condition like a professional athlete. And that's not just my way of describing it. That's what the doctors told me. Wow. And so she began ice skating as a result of all of that. And she's now got two gold medals and she's coming along, but he continued to do financial abuse. So this has been a huge thing. And this is something we have to address what's going on in the family courts. Did you know this is Family Court Awareness Month? No, um, I didn't, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's, it's really important that we look at this issue because it is impacting so many thousands of lives. Moms, sometimes dads, basically mm-hmm. abuse victims can be either one. And as I know very well, having had my dad be a victim, um, I've also worked with male victims occasionally. So it can be either one, but it also impacts the kids. And what happens is the courts are using a piece of junk science that is known to not be accurate and that prejudices the courts against survivors. And they're using that, and it's destroying lives of victims and survivors and kids. We're talking everything from um, kids being legally kidnapped with the court's approval and put in the full custody of the abuser sometimes even if the abuser is a pedophile yeah. um, and not de- survivors not being able to have access to their own children. Right. And it breaks right. 
the survivors' lives and it breaks those kids' lives, they're never the same. We've got right. to begin to address this in ways that will make a difference in this family court because the court, the way it is, is so screwed up, it's mind-boggling. Mike's husband, right. my, my daughter's in her mid-20s at this point, and she still needs financial assistance because she can't work full-time. And with the problems that she's got, the court originally had set up a thing that was an open end date. So because he is extremely wealthy, he had a responsibility that he needed to take care of his daughter. Mm -hmm. And so that was her only income. Well, he decided he was tired of paying child support. And so he went back to court last year and he removed her only income. Oh, God. And my daughter not only is at risk of paralysis and loss of limbs, my daughter also has a bleeding disorder. Mm. So if she goes in for major surgery, it's, it's major anyway for everybody, but it's twice as major because she could bleed to death. Oh, my God. And this is what this person thinks is perfectly acceptable, and the courts allowed him to do it. Unbelievable. And like I said, yeah. our Child Abuse Awareness Month and Domestic Violence Awareness Month, one month is not enough. We need to be taking, talking about these issues all the time. <laughs> you exactly. know, I know one month is more than what we had before. I mean, back in 85, we had Domestic Violence Awareness Month and, and Child Abuse Awareness Month, but, you know, um, that, that's gone on. But there's a lot more yeah. awareness now. Um, at least we're trying to get a lot more awareness. But these, these yeah. are issues, you know, we might hear about one month and then people are on the next month of, you know, whatever it is. And uh, um, we can't just keep it uh, to that one month. At least I can't. <laughs> no, like, I can't. Okay, we'll prepare for April for child abuse awareness, but we got to talk about this every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening every single day. And unless we keep it in front of people, they're not yep. going to do anything. Right. They have right. this little thing called inertia going on, and they're just fine with everything the way it is. Yeah. And it doesn't matter yeah. how many victims and how many survivors and how many kids mm. die, because that's what's happening. Um, there's actually yeah. a website online that um, keeps track of how many children have died at the hands of their abuser as a direct result of the family court mess. Oh. And it's just under a thousand, thousand nine, I believe. Um, oh. And that's the really one that And it just, just breaks your heart. Yeah. And those are just recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and we know that, that all statistics are under recorded. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And they're swept under the rug deliberately. That's right. Because you've got a whole little industry that's not Mm -hmm. little anymore. It started little. But Mm -hmm. that is out there doing what they do to make money. That's greed and the money. Uh The judge last year who did what he did to us, when I started looking at his history, and I started going, oh, my gosh. 
he's done this time after time after time. And I looked online in a particular place, and I suddenly realized somebody else had been through the exact same experience we had. And he... It's, it's beyond words. And you wonder how these people can sleep nights because what they're doing is destroying people. Right. And, you know, for a long, long time I've said we do not have a justice system. We have a legal system. And the guy right. with the most money wins. But that's how it works. Okay. That's part of what we need to fix. Mm-hmm. We need to find a way to educate them and mm-hmm. get them to the point of saying this is the right thing to do for these children and for the future, for future mm-hmm. generations. Because Why not? Just like we have multi- prevention. prevention and intervention, you know, and, and we've been doing, you yeah. know, a lot of intervention, but are we doing, really doing any kind of prevention on these type of issues, you know, and that, that's where I try to Come on, you know, get creative, think yeah. outside the box. What can we do for prevention? And, you know, we're spending all our time um, scraping up the problems that have been caused that it is hard to put the energy into, you know, yeah. um, hey, let's look at this and figure out, can we do something different so that we're not having all these survivors of abuse and all these yeah. victims that, that is, you know, really, literally um, surviving the rest of their lives from these effects, and it's yeah. sad. I mean, there, there's a lot, oh, a lot of is. people that move forward and uh, uh, create a new life, but there's a lot of people that can't. It's it's yeah. just, just totally disabling. Yeah, You're absolutely correct. And it's part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. The other piece of things that I'm working on right now, besides the legislation, legislation policy piece of things, the other thing that I'm working on right now is I am building a curriculum to help survivors become more successful than they even would have been if they hadn't been through things. And that's, that's, that's working... That's working with uh, mental health professionals and dovetailing what they're doing and reinforcing the healing work there. And at the same time, realizing that we can take the skills that we worked so hard to learn in order to stay alive. And some of those same skills that enabled us to do that are the same skills that will help reach for the stars and get them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And that's the other part of what I'm doing at this point in time is I'm, I'm working on Survivor Success Academy. And Fantastic. I'm having to learn fundraising to do that. So that's, that's my biggest challenge right now, actually, is the whole fundraising side of things because I do not have that kind of a background. Right. And so I am looking for help. <laughs> yeah. Well, the really neat thing about a lot of this is, you know, like you said, we can learn and we can, you know, remind ourselves how far we've come. A lot of people, you know, tell me, oh, I wish I was creative with this or that. I go, 
you are creative. Just think of all you did that was so creative to survive. You know, yes. look at all the things you had to exactly. learn to get out of all the crap that you that you were put in. You know, I used to call myself crazy, yes. and I finally had, you know, um, one of my friends said, "You're not crazy. What was done to you was crazy. You just reacted normally yeah. to all those crazy situations you were put in." You know, and I yep. told my therapist, I went to this one psychologist when I first um, found out I had MPD, and I told her these stories and kept going and going for about five weeks. And once she said, you know, stop a minute. And I thought, well, is she rude or what? You know, <laughs> I'm trying to get these stories out. And, but she says, no, she says, just stop. She goes, did anybody ever tell you that you could have been adopted by somebody that wanted and loved you and nurtured you and wanted the best for your life? I think I cried for six months because, no, nobody ever said that. Wow. They always said it could have been worse, it could have been worse, it could have been worse. You know, and, yeah. and for us to go back and say, what would my life have been, like you said? And I could even go yeah. beyond that. I tell my granddaughter, I say, don't reach for the stars, reach beyond. Because you have yeah. no idea what those stars. You can see those stars, so there's, there's more beyond that. Exactly. If somebody had told me, even a couple of years before it happened, that my story would be told on the floor of the United States Senate during debate Mm -hmm. and become part of history. I would have thought they were nuts. (laughs) Yeah. I would have because that's just, you know, one person in a million might have that happen. Right, right. I didn't think that would ever be me. But yeah. It was. Well, and it was one of the I was putting together that, that conference. I was putting together a conference over Zoom for Child Abuse Awareness, with my grassroots organization has. And I contacted you, I think, two weeks before my event. And I said, Oh, I'm really sorry I'm contacting you at such a late date. And I knew you were going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I and I said, so You know, would you come on? And moment. you go, Oh, by the way, I'm getting my crown I can wear. I'm like, What? Yep. I'm going to do it. <laughs> You know, who'd ever thought I'd be able to broadcast? And it was, nat- you know, international. I would have never thought yes. that even six months before that, you know, or a year before that, that, you know, or back when I started doing these events, that yeah. we'd go on Zoom and do something, you know. Why well, I mean, we didn't even know what Zoom was. And Zoom is such a powerful <laughs> yeah. tool, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we don't have to be in the same physical space in order right. to make a difference these days. That's what's really cool about it. Even though I have an immune system that is not great, I can still get out there and do the things I need to do. And that's what's really powerful. That's right. And I was so excited to be able to help you with that because I believe in this particular area and it's such an important bit of information that needs to get out. And if I can support Mm -hmm. that, I am happy to do so. And then my daughter, um, you know, last year for the April event, she's like, Mom, um, if you want to do something, why don't you start planning ahead instead of, like, the last minute, you know, because they usually do it the last month, you know, beginning of the month, okay, maybe we'll get in in April, hopefully, you know. <laughs> and she goes, uh-huh. let's sit down and do a timeline and this and that and this and that. And, and so anyway, she told me that she would help this year. And, and so I'm going to wait the holidays. But. But she just organized um, a fundraiser for a friend of ours that um, is dying of cancer and has a lot of medical bills and things. And she put together this huge fundraiser, 
and she brought in $18,000. Oh, my word. I need to talk to her. (laughs) I know. She is just just like a go-getter, you know, and and she's, you know, she's, her plate is so full that it's overflowing all over the place, you know. But yeah, but yeah. say, you know, Mom, you know, get together what you want to do, and um, you know, I'll help you with the yeah. timeline. And oh, fantastic! You know, just to have different people, like you said, you know, if you just put out there what we want, um, and like you said, I need help yeah. with this or that, and just put it out there. Um, there's gonna be a lot of people say, oh. You can't do that. You can't do that. You know, and I had people, many people, why don't you just forget about and do it next year? Like, no, I'm doing it this year. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm not going to let it me if I don't have enough speakers. The thing will be shorter, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that <laughs> I have, you, you and I have talked, and you definitely have to stay tuned because. Um, I have something coming up this next year that Absolutely. at this point and I'm going by faith. And you keep us updated. Not Our time isn't out yeah. or anything, but just to let you know, we want, we do want you to keep us updated on the things that you're doing because this is one of the platforms we can get information out, you know. And it's just one sure. of the many sure. that are out there. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, what what I'm hoping to do with this next section of what I'm doing is to be able to put it together so that I can build an organization, and I'm not sure whether it's going to be a for-profit or a non-profit, uh-huh. um, but to really begin to make a difference in the way that I need to make a difference, I need that right. framework. And so right. it's time, and I feel like <laughs> the joke with me is, and this has been this way for a very long time, that I am stuck in somebody's helicopter, and I am taken out to the middle of the ocean someplace, and they drop me in the ocean, and they say, have a nice swim, and I'm stuck out in the middle of the ocean having to swim my way back and find land somewhere. Because yeah. I feel so over my head with everything I'm doing, but for some mm-hmm. reason that's what has worked for me, and it's yeah. what I've had to do up until now. I would but say I've done I really need... well in crises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's when things get calm that I just get really bored and I've got to, you know, think of something else to do to, you know, kind of fire things up yeah. because that's, you know, I get really bored with uh, doing the same thing and um, I, I, you know, but somebody was talking about, um, you know, at first we're survivors, you know, and, and we crawl, you know, yeah, we're out in that um, whatever the ocean and we grab onto a raft and we survive, you know, and then we get yeah. to land and, you know, we got our hairs all full of tangled with weeds and, you know, we got to eat and, you know, exhausted and probably hydrated uh, <laughs> or whatever, you know, but then we get on land and, you know, we start eating and who knows what, you know, and and then we become survivors and then we start, yeah. you know, living our lives and we become thrivers. And then to help somebody yeah. else out is 
the next step, you know, for me it was. Exactly. And oh, I definitely. Told, you know, I was in a cave. I was in a dark cave and, you know, I heard other people in that cave with me screaming for help too, you know, in those psych wards and I got out of there, you know, but I feel like I yeah. have to go back and find those people and bring them back out too. Cause I found the way out, you know, and, yeah. and I want yeah. other people to find a way out. And I think it's part of our healing, at least for me, it very much has been where to help myself heal, um, one of the things that happen is I'm helping somebody else and I'm giving back to them at the same time mm-hmm. it is healing me. Right. So and and people say, oh, it's so wonderful what you're doing. It's so wonderful what you're doing. I says, all I'm doing is what I was given and what I wish would have been given at the time. Yeah. That's, that's it, you know. And that what I wish would have been given is what my motivation is for, you know, change and, and looking toward what else can I do. Yeah. yeah Annie, are you there? Do you have any uh, input? We're kind of not I am here, and, and I've been listening, and thank you so much, Carissa. The thing that really has attracted me most was the curriculum for survivors, and I'd like to know what, what would be in the curriculum? What, what would I learn? My curriculum will have a variety of different things. One of the things, and and it's been interesting as I begin to sit down and put all of this together, because some of it will dovetail what you're getting from a trauma-informed counselor. So I'm not a counselor. I'm peer support. I'm, I'm actually in the process of getting trained so that I will actually be certified as a peer support specialist. But my job as a peer support specialist is different than a counselor. And so I'm one who has experience and will have the training, and the combination will enable me to better help somebody who is working with a therapist so that it drives that home that much more and helps you to have a richer experience and a more deep healing within your spirit as a result of all of that. At the same time, there will be other pieces to this. Um, I've been involved, it's no secret, in pageants for a very long time. I actually got involved in my first pageant and won my first state title two weeks before I left domestic violence. And when that happened, in fact, the morning after that happened, I was asleep, sound asleep, and got wakened by a dream at 6 o'clock in the morning. And in this dream, I was walking the stage at Nationals, and uh, the lights were so hot that they were practically burning, and I could picture everything that was there and this big booming voice said the healing has begun and that voice woke me up out of a sound sleep and I sat both upright in bed and I didn't know what I had to do with that moment but I knew I needed to do something and I couldn't roll back to sleep and I'm not a morning person so that kind of tells you a lot too but then when I finally got to nationals that first time 
It took me seven years to get there. And I got to the auditorium and we went to go on stage for that first time, stage, and I froze. Only for a second. And then my heart started pounding. And I was getting ready to walk on that stage. And as I went up those stairs, I didn't quite fall, but I came close because it was the exact same scene that had wakened me from sleep after I won that title seven years prior. Oh, my goodness. And I remembered the healing has begun. And I realized that even as silly as some people think pageants are, there is a whole lot of good underneath all of that. <laughs> For the, the pageant that I just finished, I won interview, but I didn't just win interview. I beat every single person in that entire competition in interview. So there's four titles they give out. But I beat everybody from all those titles. So there was a ton of people, and I came out number one. And it's because, yes, I have strong communication skills, but I've also worked my little tail off to really build those skills and learn how to interview. And there are specific things that I do and I, that I now teach uh, when it comes to interviews. So this helps not just for pageantry. This also helps when you're doing a job, when you're looking for a job, or in other areas. It carries over. Pageantry is like that. So much of what you learn there you take and you're able to transform lives in other areas. A lot of people that are involved in pageantry have a thing called a platform. And a lot of people don't know what a platform is. It can be pretty much anything. But in my case, what it is is a legacy. And that's the way that I think of it. It's what I'm building, not just for my future, but also for what mm -hmm. I'm going to be remembered for. Even when I'm gone, it'll mm -hmm. still be there. Right. And that's part of what I will be teaching with Survival to Success Academy. I'm already mentoring a number of people in this area. And as I said, I've already started teaching bits and pieces of it. It's just basically mm -hmm. putting them all together so that I have the whole thing and getting it up and running and having the funds, that's the big thing, to be able to do it. Right. Graduation is going to be a combination of putting everything together. Uh, there is a um, volunteer project that is part of this thing. Part of the reason for that is when we get back, we learn new things about ourselves as well as helping in our community. And sometimes you don't even have to leave the house in order to do that these days. But I'm very open to different ideas of what people might want to do for their volunteer project. I've done a whole lot of volunteering over the last I don't know, 38 years or something like that. It's been a long time. <laughs> I've done everything from zoo docenting <laughs> to 
domestic violence advocacy, do a lot of other stuff. There's many, many possibilities. So the key in this case is learning what is important to you and what sounds like fun. And for those of us who survived abuse, most of the time we don't know. So that's one of the reasons why this part is so important because we have to get to know ourselves in order to be mm-hmm. able to do it. And there are so many people so, these days that say, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose exactly. in life? Why do I describe this? You know? And they really don't have a clue to even figure out the beginning stages of figuring out what they'd like to do with their lives, you know, because I don't know for what, for whatever, I was at many points where I just thought I had no purpose. You know, my purpose is just surviving the trauma and getting through to go to therapy, you know, and I was asked Mm -hmm. to come out and read one of my poems that I had written that I had dug out of my papers that I was keeping hidden because I didn't want nobody to know how crazy I was, you know. And, and pulling mm-hmm. that out and uh, um, getting it published in a couple of newsletters through Battered Women and Sexual Assault Program. And somebody reading it and asked me to come out and read it and take back the night. And I got out there and, you know, they paid for me to get out there and I got out there. And all of a sudden there's a whole park full of people and there ain't no way I can get up in front of all those people, you know. Oh. And I was scared to death. And they pretty yeah. much convinced me that, you know, I needed to read it and they thought it was great and other people want to hear it. and so I really did it, yeah. not, not really for myself at all. <laughs> but when I got off the stage, a whole bunch of people came up to me and thanked me for reading it. And it just makes you feel really good when, you know, you can go beyond your oh, fear. Absolutely. And, and somebody is, a bunch of people are encouraging you, you know, big absolutely. part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole thing in the nutshell, when we leave a lot of the time, we're so focused on, How do we make it? How do we make this work? When you leave domestic violence, it's, okay, i got legal stuff i got to deal with. i got to figure out how I'm going to economically make it. If you've got children, it's figuring out what's best for them. It's all of these little ducks that have to be spit-polished and in a row. You're so focused on all of that, there's no time to celebrate. Yeah. Well, that's what graduation is. Graduation is the celebration. And part of that celebration is going to be getting dressed up and it's going to be having some special little things that um, yeah. shall remain nameless for the time being, but I'm having a lot well, of fun finding them. Yeah. <laughs> that are going to be part of this whole thing that will always remind you that you had that moment and that moment was the beginning, not the end, the beginning of your life. That's beautiful. Well, we can't wait to have you come back on and tell us about this amazing program. <laughs> I'm very, I know Annie would say she's very interested too in finding more details because um, we, need, we need more of this. We need more of this uh, supporting each other and um, you know, instead of saying your crown's crooked, adjusting somebody's crown, you know. <laughs> right, right. And I understand there can be a good reason behind those kinds of things too, but 
we need the depth and we need to show that this is a true purpose and this changes lives and I think that's the most important purpose that we can have. Mm-hmm. So, and I've told people that the reason I'm still here, because I was supposed to be dead six different times that I know of, mm-hmm. and I'm still here. And I've told people the reason I'm still here is because this is my job. This is my purpose, and my purpose is not done yet. Um, right. One of those times when I should have died, I have um, anaphylaxis that goes along with part of my uh, mass cell activation syndrome. And so I went into anaphylaxis times in just a matter of a few weeks. Oh, my God. And each time was very close. And the one time I knew I wasn't going to make the hospital, and I told my friend, just go to urgent care because we were right there. I said, go to urgent care now. They got me to urgent care. They didn't stop me at the desk. They took me back. My daughter and my friend got all my information for them. And in the meantime, I was taken back. I took one look at that doctor, and I said, I can't breathe. And my throat closed, and I felt a pop, and I was outside my body watching the doctor. Wow. It <laughs> was a really weird feeling. <laughs> well, what yeah. happened? I was watching him, and I was kind of marveling, and I said, you know, you know, what's going on here? I don't get it. And this voice said, choose, do you want to be here or not? Wow. And the thing that's amazing to me about that is the fact that I struggled big time after mm-hmm. my accident and even somewhat before my accident um, with suicide. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to be gone. And now I was being asked to choose. And almost as fast as the question came, my answer came. And I said, my job is not done yet. My daughter needs me. I need to be here. And it was like, okay. And I felt myself go back inside my body as he shot me full of visceral and I went to the hospital for eight days and it took me a year to get over that oh yeah but yeah our whole purpose is the reason why we're here and once we realize that you know then we can do something about it but we got to figure well, it out. Well, I'm glad first. you made that and choice. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm done with all this crap, you know, because we yeah, would not yeah. be able to conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we were both supposed that to, to me be with here. Can- breast cancer, you know, they told me that was untreatable and inoperable, and I wasn't going to do anything about it, you know. Um, wow. I said, I'm not, at least I won't die of alcoholism, drug addiction, or mental illness. I'll die of the acceptable disease cancer. But when I told my kids, the horror in their eyes made me think I got to fight. I can't just let my kids think, you know, that yeah. I can just give up and things, you know, when things are, look like they're, you know, because I already figured I'd been through unbeatable odds, which I had been, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm going to at least attempt to do, you know, even though the doctor said no. And 
So people will tell me, you know, I'm dying, this and that. And I'm like, um, is your doctor God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, um, just because the doctor tells you something, if if you give in to that and just say, okay, well, I'm just going to lay in bed. I'm, I'll be gone in six months, you know. Or, yeah. you know, this ain't going to happen. I got things to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. tell my bestie, you know, and she's a three-time breast cancer survivor. Um, you're not going any place until it's your time. She looked at me and she said, I don't have an expiration date. Yep, that's right. And that's a really good way to put it. I told my son I'm looking to at least 100, and he said, Mom, I'm not even going to live until you're 100. And I said, well, that's your plan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got my plan, you got your plan. <laughs> you know, because I got stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mhm. So we got five minutes. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to uh, add, or any, or do we have anybody in one that wants to make any comments? I can't see my computer. My computer died. Oh no. <laughs> we have no one on the panel with oh. us except Carissa okay. and you and me. Oh, okay. Well, do you have anything that you want to add, or do you have anything you want to ask Carissa? Um, well, I'll so say, Carissa, sure all the best, and, you know, all the best to you um, oh, in, so your, in your organizing and your class that you're creating and, and all of that. And I know a little bit about fundraising, so if you want to call me and just pick my brain, you're welcome to do that. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I would love yeah, that. <laughs> I can pass on Annie's number two. Oh, perfect. That would be lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, i got to get this figured out. And mm-hmm. I kind of know a couple of people that I'm going to get a hold of and see if I can get some help through that. Well, Annie has uh, actually written plans. So I was hoping that she'd be my co-host because I know we've talked, uh, Chris, okay, you and I. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just another way we can uh, get together on this show and, you know, support each other and exchange ideas and information. And And I'm happy to jump in, you know, if you need somebody, I'm happy to jump in and, Uh um, you know, help you out too. So Mm -hmm. um, I am happy to do that. That's kind of what my background is. I was actually broadcast journalism. And so... yeah. I kind yeah, of find it fun. Yeah, that's really exciting. And even in the midst of yeah, all the seriousness, we also want to let other people know too. that if you know anybody that that is a survivor that would like to come on and tell their story, or a survivor professional, um, get a hold of NASCA n a a s c a dot org, um, and we've got where the Blog Talk Radio Show is. You can click on it and put in there. It says uh, future shows or something like that, where you can go in. And we have spaces on the schedule, and there's a contact person. And uh, pick out a date and uh, get you on the show um, because we want to continue these conversations. Uh, Carissa, so you got anything that you can give us for some contact information? Uh, I know you said the Facebook page, which we talked about. Yeah, the seconds. best way to reach me is through my Facebook page at this point. Um, I've had to, because of finances, 
I've had to uh, temporarily give up my uh, other stuff. CarissaDaniels.com will hopefully eventually be back up, but right at the moment it's not. And um, like I said, I in the next few months I will be working on several things and mm-hmm. trying to get all of that squared away. I'm Trying okay. to make up my mind. All right, we've got forty seconds, I think. Um, uh, Annie, would you like to play the music? You have a, a computer to do that. And thanks everybody, yes, and thanks for listening. And thanks, we'll hear everybody. from you again. Thanks everyone. Another tomorrow, 'cause that's gone.